It's hard to believe, but Christmas is uh, just a little bit over three and a half weeks ago. Seems a lot longer, doesn't it? And despite the busyness and the stress that all the entire Christmas season is incredibly special for so many reasons, a number of years ago, while my mom was still living, one Christmas she gave me something that to this day means so much to me. She gave me her mother's creche. A creche that has been used in the family back to the 1920s. And its value for me comes from the fact that generation after generation had the creche displayed in their homes each December since that time. I cherish the sense of continuity. One thing I value about family crash scenes is that you can actually touch the figures if you want to. You can pick up each figure and examine it and think about the person in the story of Jesus that it represents. The same, however, often cannot be said for large crash setups in public parks in cities around America. More often than not, such large-scale public displays of Jesus' manger are surrounded by fencing. And I've long thought that such fencing, while necessary, is always a bit sad. But perhaps what troubles me the most about such fencing is that it could imply to somebody that Jesus and his family needs to be protected. Or even worse, it could convey a feeling of confinement. And if there's one thing we know for sure, thank God there is no way to confine Jesus. It doesn't matter what kinds of barriers a person puts up, Jesus cannot be held back, thank God. And as a dear friend used to say to me, you cannot keep Jesus in a cage. Thank God we have a God who in no way can be confined. But long ago, there was a town named Cana we heard about. We don't know with absolute certainty where Cana actually was, at the time of Jesus, but there's a modern-day city in Israel called Cana, and there are some traditional sites believed to be the place where Jesus and his mom attended a wedding one day. Now, the town is filled with all kinds of souvenir shops, some of which even sell some of the most horrendous-tasting bottles of wine that they call (laughs) wedding at Cana wine. There is no way that Jesus would have touched that stuff. In fact, in fact, he would have turned that wine back into water, I think. <laughs> that said, today there is a beautiful Franciscan church there in Cana. And six years ago at this time, I, in the month of January, I was in uh, Cana and I was in this Franciscan church and the town at the time was virtually vacant. January is a great time to go to Israel. Nobody's there. But anyway, my wife, Regina, and I, along with some friends, entered the Franciscan church. We sat down for a few moments, and we prayed, and I thought about the miracle at Cana. And when we finished and went out of the front doors of the church, something caught my eye. There, hanging down from some high-up place, was a long, partially frayed rope. Regina looked at me, and I looked at her. And I decided to pull on the rope. It just looked like so much fun. (laughs) And I kept pulling and pulling and pulling. And with each pull, this really cool, very, very loud bell rang out across the town of Cana. And suddenly someone, somewhat official looking, came running quickly toward us and for some reason seemed to focus on me. (laughs) Fortunately, I'd let go of the rope. 
And this official-looking guy in terrible English said, why is the bell ringing? It's set up to ring on the hour. Who rung the bell? Why is the bell ringing? At first, I thought of replying, what bell? I didn't hear a bell. Did anybody <laughs> hear a bell? <laughs> but fortunately, another answer entered my mind immediately. So I said immediately to the fellow, we're in Cana. We are in Cana, the place where Jesus was at a wedding. This must have been another miracle. We have no idea why the bell was ringing. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. <laughs> Speaking of miracles, real ones, today's gospel reading, as you might gather, is all about an event that occurred long ago in the town of Cana. And the story is found only in John's Gospel, and it happens at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And as some of you know, you may remember, and it's helpful to think about this, that the Gospel of John can roughly be divided up into two halves. The first 12 chapters is known as the Book of Signs, in which seven miracles are described. The first miracle is what happened at Cana, followed by Jesus healing a person's son, healing a paralyzed man, feeding 5,000 plus people, walking on water, healing a blind man, and the last miracle was when Jesus brought his dead friend Lazarus back to life. Each miracle points to, or is a sign, if you will, of who Jesus is, God in the flesh. And then the second part of John's Gospel is known as the Book of Glory, chapters 13 to 20, and it basically describes all the events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and what happened after. But back to the miracle we heard about today. And let's take a look at the story. Now, in Jesus' day, weddings were often celebrated not just for a short period of time. Often they went on for days and days. In fact, seven was a very typical number. Can you imagine paying for a seven-day wedding? <laughs> and Cana, as was the case then, was a very small town, so probably most of the people who were residents of Cana and from around the area were there. We know that Jesus, along with his mother and disciples, were also present. And given the festive nature of the event, running out of wine would not have been a good deal. It would have been terribly embarrassing. So Jesus says, Jesus' mother says, hey Jesus, the wine is almost run out. And on the surface, Jesus' response to his mother, saying that Jesus, the wine has run out, his response is a bit odd, perhaps even troubling. Jesus, in essence, says, Woman, why do you care about all this? Now is not the time. Now is not my time. Now, the word woman then was not an unusual way of referring to a female, so it's not as offensive as it sounds under this, on the surface. It sounds strange to us now, but it wouldn't have been that strange then. And many scholars think that Jesus was not so much being rude to his mom as simply making it clear to her that his time had not yet come. It's as if Jesus was saying, Mom, what will happen in the future is really between me and God. Now is not the time to get into all of this so you can let this go. While she may not have known what on earth he was referring to when Jesus said, My time, most people think that the time Jesus was talking about was what was ahead the time of his death and resurrection, when people would really figure out who he was. But regardless of all this, after this exchange, Jesus turned what would be around 180 gallons of water into superb wine. It would have gotten a 100 rating from Wine Spectator. 
I have to tell this story. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today, but I, th I thought of this <laughs> when I thought of red wine. Years ago, I was working in a church with a great altar guild. They were phenomenal, phenomenal. They insisted, however, on using white wine for communion so that the altar linens wouldn't be stained. And I think one day I got a bit frustrated, and they got mad at me because I said, we really need to use red wine. Jesus was all about red wine. He had red wine at the Last Supper. He turned water into red wine at the wedding at Cana. It's a miracle, red wine. We need to use red wine. If you have me continue to use white wine, when I share communion with somebody, I'm going to have to say, the, plas the plasma of Christ shed for you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, back to Cana. <laughs> and I love what this one person writes. The miracle at Cana was a moment in which heaven was opened, when the power of God burst into the present world. That is why it simply will not do, despite what some people have said, to see the things Jesus did and the stories about them as pleasant but imaginary legends, things that did not happen but which illustrate some supposed deeper spiritual truth. The person goes on, the whole point of the miracles which did happen is that they are moments when heaven and earth intersect each other. I love that line. Miracles are moments when heaven and earth intersect each other. And the more you get to know about Jesus, the more you realize this sort of thing is precisely what we should expect of Jesus. We should not be in doubt. As I thought about this scene, I, I thought it would be really interesting just for a moment for us to imagine ourselves there in this town of Cana. Jesus is there. There are people having a great time. The wine runs out. And suddenly we see this fellow Jesus turn these big jugs of water into this spectacular wine. We see it happen. We know it's not magic. We know it's not an illusion. It happens right in front of us. And my hunch is that if we were there, our expectations of what can happen and what cannot happen in this world would be totally shaken. How we see things would be reshaped. What seems impossible would seem suddenly possible. Conventions of reality would be totally shattered. And had we been there, would we not believe that nothing is impossible with God? Regarding miracles in general, is it not so that there are miracles every moment of every day happening all around us? Is there not evidence of heaven intersecting earth right now? Things just as potent and amazing as witnessing water being turned into wine if we open up our eyes. Let me give you an example of what I think are some miracles of heaven intersecting earth right now. Take a walk this afternoon through the mountains. Miraculous. Listen to the waters of the Roaring Fork River. Miraculous. Look up at the stars and ponder a light year. 
Light travels at 670 miles, million miles an hour. 670 million miles an hour, light travels around the Earth eight times in a second. Miraculous. Our galaxy, which is one of billions and billions, and the Milky Way of which we are part, is 150,000 light years across. Imagine. The observable universe is something like 46 billion light years across. The rest we cannot sense because light has not hit us after nearly 14 billion years. Miraculous. Can't even comprehend it. What about the fact that everything started with an inconceivable big bang, big bang in an instant before there was ever such a thing as an instant? Scientists say that when the universe was a hundredth of a billionth of a billionth of a trillionth of a second old, I don't even know what that means, it had already doubled in size over 90 times. To get, to get a little bit out of the stars and back on Earth, what about a single cell growing for nine months and then being brought into the world carrying a soul? Is that not a miracle? What about people who can build things or play instruments in ways we can't conceive, come up with brilliant ideas or solve problems? And then there's this great song called There Is a God, and listen to these lyrics. Try and put your hands around a hundred-year-old tree, climb up on a horse and let it run full speed. Take a look down at the world from 30,000 feet. Watch a flock of birds across the morning sun. Plant a seed and see what comes out of the ground. Find the heartbeat on your baby's ultrasound. Stop and think about what you do not understand, things like life and love and how the world began. Some say it's all just circumstance, like this whole world is just an accident. But if you want to shoot that theory down, just look around. As I think about all of what I've mentioned a lot more, miracles where heaven intersects earth, are everywhere. When Jesus went to the wedding at Cana, he turned common water into uncommon wine. He transformed something quite normal into something spectacular. It's a miracle what Jesus did with water. It's a miracle what Jesus did with water. You may already know this, but do you know that you and I are mostly made up of water? The majority of what we are is water. And so as I thought about this, I have to wonder, I have to wonder and imagine what Jesus might do with the water that you and I are made up of. What Jesus has already done with the water that we are made up of. And I have a sneaking suspicion as we think of ourselves as water, and we think of the miracle at Cana, and if we think about giving ourselves, which is mostly water, over to God, over to Christ, that he's not going to turn us into red wine, but each and every day will transform us into something much more grand. And finally, remember earlier I spoke about public crash scenes put behind fences. I said, despite the fences that some people put up, the truth is, is that Jesus cannot be confined. There is no limit 
to what Christ can do in your life and in mine. No limit. Miracles are happening all around us. And if we pay attention, there are miracles happening right now within each of us. Look at your hands. It's a miracle. Look at the sky. It's a miracle. Look at the person that loves you. It's a miracle. And just like Jesus got people's attention at Cana, showing them what he could do, I believe that Jesus is inviting each of us again this day to pay attention to him and see what he can do in your life and in mine. Miracles, miracles, miracles. They're everywhere. Open eyes, they're everywhere. Heaven is intersecting earth. Now, tomorrow, and the day after that. Miracles, miracles, miracles. Thanks be to God. Amen.